You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 176. Today, I'm sitting down with coach Jared Aquilina, and we're talking about upgrading your programming and financial skills. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner. And this podcast is where smart fitness professionals, including trainers and clinicians, discover how to increase client performance in movement, package and position their products and services and get out of their own way so that they can increase their revenue to live a life that they love without sleazy sales. Welcome to the PT Profit Podcast. What's up, coach? Thank you so much for pushing play on another episode of the PT Profit Podcast. I'm your host, Beverly Simpson. And if this is the first time that you are hanging out with me today and listening to this show, welcome. I'm super pumped that you're here. Today, I'm bringing a very special personal trainer coach who is a program design specialist as well as financial coach, Jared Aquilina. And I am really excited because we have a really awesome conversation about upgrading your business, both from a programming standpoint, as well as a financial standpoint so that you can actually achieve the life that you want to achieve in freedom, financial wealth, as well as life wealth. In this episode, we also talk a lot about leverage and how we can use program design to leverage more time and wealth in our business, as well as ways that we can enhance and set up our financial situation as fitness professionals. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. What's up, Jared? Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm doing so good. This is going to be such a great conversation. I'm super pumped. So for those of you who have never heard about your work, Jared, can you share with us a little bit about who you are, who you serve and how you got there? Um, So my name is Jared Aquilina, of course. I've been a trainer in New York City for about 15 years. I like to say it's exactly 14, but 15 just sounds better. Um, (laughs) And I primarily focus on strength training, uh, muscle building, etc. And, you know, my main focus or specialization is program design. I've always really been interested in program design and seeing long-term progress kind of play out, training clients for years. And just recently, I kind of launched a program design tool called Big Picture Programming, and it designs a 12-week program for any client in under five minutes. And it's helped me immensely just because I've had a high volume of clients. Actually, over the last couple of years, even during the pandemic, I've gained a lot of clientele. So just to kind of relieve that stress of day in, day out um, programming, it's really allowed me to you know, kind of streamline my program design process so I could really get focused on helping people and training people and doing what I love. Oh, I love this. And I can't wait to dive into more about the programming tool, but I'm just curious, what brought you into fitness 14 years ago? So growing up, I was actually obese as a, as a teenager and I joined Weight Watchers. I joined with my aunt at the time yeah (laughs) when I was 15 years old and I lost 40 pounds and I really saw you know what that could do for a person mentally obviously physically of course and I've always wanted to kind of instill that sort of progress and results within other people because again you know 
when people are not feeling good about themselves, not feeling confident, there's nothing better than seeing results on your body and on your mind. And I really wanted to kind of bring that to other people. And then I ended up going to Temple University where I studied um, exercise physiology and kind of played out from there. I became a personal trainer. That is amazing. I did not know that about you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, in that process of joining Weight Watchers, sure. and, you know, doing that, you were you also working out or was it just food? It was mostly food. I was, I think I was a freshman. Yeah, I said freshman. So I was on the freshman basketball team. Um, so my main mode of exercise was just playing basketball two hours every day after school, five days a week. And I remember going with my aunt every day and I would actually, every week, we would have to weigh in one time a week. And I'd say I was there for like 12 to 15 weeks. I was called up every time because I always lost the most weight. I thought I was like a little bit at an unfair advantage because it was a lot of middle-aged people, but it was interesting. They had to like put me in front of the classroom and kind of like say how I did this. And, you know, it was just interesting speaking to all these older people. Like they're looking at me like, Oh, what's this like teenager doing here? But I still had the same struggles no matter what age. And I just, it was, it, it came down to just right food choices and right portions. I think this is when they came out with the point system, which really people kind of follow today with uh, flexible dieting or more of like a macronutrient approach. So I've definitely had that uh, skill set at a young age. Mm, for better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then you go to Temple University and now you start, you start learning about exercise physiology. And now we can start transitioning into that conversation of program design. How, how did you fall in love with that process because in my experience and working with hundreds of trainers program design tends to be one of the biggest struggles that a lot of the coaches face for a multitude of reasons mm -hmm. wanting to keep clients engaged wanting to to you know help them achieve the goal and especially when goals are different and then sure you know, make sure that they streamline it so that they're not spending hours in the admin. So how did you <laughs> fall in love with that and then learn to come up with this system that is effective? So I fell in love with that. Actually, it kind of precedes going to college, but I'm going to kind of tie in my college experience with that. You know, after I lost some weight with Weight Watchers, that's when I got more into weight training because I mentioned I just did it through basketball and then the Weight Watcher program. And I followed the Miami Hurricanes football strength and conditioning program with one of my friends at our local um, high school uh, gym. And I remember I printed it out. Remember when we printed things out? Um, <laughs> and I really learned the power of having a 12-week program, you know, laid out in front of me, seeing what I was going to do on day one, what I was going to do a week later, a month later, et cetera. And kind of moving along to college, finally, for my senior internship, I interned at Villanova University for their football strength and conditioning program. And all of the college kit or all of the athletes got a printout of every workout they were going to do for that whole summer. And I really saw the importance of having a high volume of people and what a plan can really do and help facilitate the program um, for all those amount of people. So once I kind of 
learned from that. I learned how to use an Excel sheet because as the intern, I would have to input all the weights, all the sets and reps, et cetera. I kind of gained that skill through that internship. And then as I kind of moved along in my training career over this these last 14 years, my Google Sheet expertise kind of evolved and then culminated into big picture programming, which I released a couple of months ago. So how do you decide, how do you, what's the process in which you go through putting together a program for a client? Uh, first, of course, I'll put them through an assessment process, um, which could, you know, isn't just that one day, it could take a couple of weeks. And of course it's centered around their goals, but mostly it's based on a periodization model. I think, although we're all unique in some way, we still need to follow some sort of plan and the periodization kind of allows you to oversee the whole plan and kind of sets the tone for the next 12 weeks or even six months to a year. And um, starting with that periodization, that bigger picture allows you to break down the process from there. Um, I personally, if I, I know you didn't ask, but I like an undulating periodization approach it just allows people to allows the trainer to change the sets and reps on a weekly basis, keeping the clients a little bit more interested. For the most part, most of my clients want to, you know, either gain muscle or lose fat. So just a good overall solid weight training program is going to be pretty applicable for everyone. Can you break down specifically what you mean when you're talking about undulating periodization process? Sure. So undulating is more of a wave a wave type model of the sets and reps. So for example, in week one, let's say we're training someone for three days, we might see two to three sets of 10 to 15 reps. The next week will be six to 10. The next week will be four to eight. And then we'll kind of wave back up into a higher rep range of 12 to 20. And that repeats over the course of a month. So you kind of take those four different uh, rep schemes that I just said, and then do it over the course of every month. So it kind of, again, keeps people engaged and interested instead of the typical, like, we're just going to do eight to 12 reps for years and years. And it kind of gets stagnant and you want to keep training fun, but of course, productive. So we kind of get a mix of both with that undulating model. I see. So now how do you, and how does the coach determine whether they need to progress, whether they need to, to modify when it comes to the performance of this undulating uh, process? So typically, sometimes it coincides with how their nutrition is like, what their stress levels are like. Um, after the 12 weeks, I'll probably add weight, depending on the, the client's skill level. If it's a little more of like, an advanced uh, client, I'll add weight every month. But if it's someone who's maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit more high stress, maybe a senior executive, et cetera, doesn't get good sleep, has kids, I won't progress the weight as much and just focus more on sticking with the set and rep scheme. Um, and ways to progress would just be pushing those reps towards that higher range. That's why I kind of give it a range, for example, on that week one, 10 to 15. Maybe in month one, we're just working with 10. Maybe in month two, we just kind of push that same weight to 12 reps. Month three, pushing that same weight to 15 reps. So it really leaves some leeway for the, the trainer to auto-regulate. You know, we can't always 
solely rely on a spreadsheet to apply to a client. You know, people are unique, humans are unique, which gives us the value as a trainer, like, hey, we're watching you, we're taking care of you. And these are the things that we're kind of seeing and assessing on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Okay, I love that. So now, you know, in terms of the performance of a programming a program, how do you, as the coach, decide or assess, just like you said, you're assessing every mm-hmm. single day, assessing whether or not the program is working or you're just, or, or maybe not, it's not the right word in terms of working, but in terms mm-hmm. of how can you, if you're reaching like plateaus or maybe you're not seeing a lot of movement, how do you decide between what is part of the process and then just stick to it. And then Mm -hmm. what is, we need to make an adjustment. We need to make an adjustment. Um, That's a really good question. I think it ultimately comes down to, are they seeing the results that they signed up for? What are their goals? If someone isn't losing weight, you know, we need to look at a, the program, B the nutrition, their sleep, um, So usually I will change the periodization model. Maybe their body isn't responding to that sort of rep range. For example, you know, typically females can be doing uh, higher amounts of reps at the same relative intensity as a male can. So let's say we both have a one rep max of a hundred pounds. I could do, you know, 80% for five reps. You might be able to do six to seven. So you know, it really depends on the client and it's up to me to kind of change that periodization model, which will get them to their goals. But ultimately, I think you need to kind of assess these things over a three to six month process. And um, that's why I kind of set up my programs that way. Mm. Love it. Uh, and would you say this mm. is true for fat loss and for muscle growth? You mean the, how the, the uh, program is set up? Mm-hmm. No, because I, I will push the weights more and I'll push the reps more if someone is trying to gain muscle. Usually, most of my clients work with me with nutrition, so they're in a caloric surplus at that point, so they have the energy to kind of push those weights. Um, they're not getting fatigued as fast. If someone is, you know, it's summer right now, everyone's trying to, maybe get a little bit leaner or stay leaner. I'll kind of keep it on the lower end range just to, you know, kind of maintain their results that we've gotten over the course of the year. So it really is highly dependent on what their nutrition looks like and how many calories they're taking in. So now I'm curious in your experience and how you (laughs) set up your programs, right? You know, does this look different for a gen pop person versus someone who is, Uh, athletically inclined or training for a sport how do you change up the periodization programming uh, depending on the client sure um they do uh some people have a different periodization model but it really comes down to the actual workout so some people if i see them twice a week you know they're just a gen pop client someone trying to just stay in shape maybe just your typical busy executive uh corporate worker I'm going to have them do a total body workout because I'm only seeing them for two hours a week. So I really, I like to kind of paint a big brush over their body. You know, some people might be a little bit more type A. I see them four times a week. 
then that's when I can kind of get into the nuances of more isolation, of course, depending on their goals. You know, for example, I have a guy now, I see him four times a week and we do an upper, lower, upper, lower split. So that type of person, I could really attack like half their body on each day. Again, the person who just wants to stay in shape, they're really busy, they have kids. I'm going to just take a total body approach because like I mentioned, I'm only seeing them for two hours a week. There's only so much I could do. So we kind of have to make the best of it for the short period of time that we have. And I love it. Now, in, uh, in your opinion, right, when it comes to, you know, programming, we know that repetition is the mother of all learning and that we need to be practicing in order to for skill acquisition. And this is true across business, the health, all of it, right? However, we're inundated with short intention spans and, you know, <laughs> libraries of on-demand blah 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 so how do you how do you help keep your clients engaged and motivated doing a program that might be considered boring when you compare it to you know what's available to them so in my uh, big picture programming template i do have a lot of visualizations that i do show the client month to month so that one keeps them engaged through that visualization process it just gives them like a fun presentation to look at it's like watching an nfl game that has all these flashing lights um although this isn't a gimmicky thing um it's just nice to see that progress and then two i will call it something else you know maybe you know I'll call it like a Jersey arm blast program if someone wants to get bigger arms so if you kind of make these fun little quirky names it kind of gives people the impression that it's unique to them and you know it's kind of cool for them to tell their friends or you know for us to kind of laugh about but you know if I just called it three-day program they're not going to really be excited about it so as long as you kind of change these small things here and there it's going to show the clients that you actually care about them um, and that's what having a program is all about you know to know that this trainer cares about you they made a funny named program um, and they're set for the next 12 weeks to a year. I love that. Now, how do you go? <laughs> how do you go? And honestly, I love that. And, and I think that naming your exercises and, and naming your programs, for example, is, is going to be a way that you layer on the uniqueness of you. Everyone Absolutely. Wants, yeah. Everyone wants to talk about, you know, how we can stand apart in the market space. We'll name your workouts. Mm -hmm. That's Absolutely. number one. Okay. So now how do you go about uh, the exercise selection of your program? So exercise selection, I like to base it off of the eight fundamental movement patterns, uh, your squats, your pushes, your pulls, et cetera. Um, those are all things that we do in life. Those are all things that we just need to, you know, survive in this physical world. Um, and what are the eight? The eight are, wow, you're putting me on the spot. Um, so push, pull, um, squat, squat, core, lunge. That's four. Uh, carry. Did I say rotation? I think I have throw in there. I think I have like a few that are kind of like in one sort of category. Um, you know, your throw, your sprint, your jump, et cetera. So that's kind of like a little bit more of like your athletic based movements. As long as I see those eight, 
in the course of the week, then I'm fine. I'm not going to really program all of those eight in one day. Uh, my program sheet, for example, mine has only six slots for me to put exercises. Um, and that doesn't, you know, exclude the warm up. We could be doing jumps and throws, et cetera, in a warm up, which is a great uh, kind of nervous system activation exercise or a way to activate the nervous system. So, you know, you're not just limited to having to use those eight in one day. And that's really what it comes down to the nuances of program design. You know, if someone, again, wants to do that upper lower split, I'm not going to be doing a lunge or a squat. Uh, typically on those days, uh, on that upper body day. So as long as I see those eight movement patterns over the course of a week, then it's good to go. Hmm. Okay. I put you on the spot only because I know the spot. <laughs> I know the spot. <laughs> That's funny. Spot, push, pull, hinge, carry, which I, which I usually think of carrying core is kind of what I love together. So I went, yeah. oh, what are the three? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of trainers kind of like, rename them to be like oh there's six fundamental movement patterns um but like i mentioned i think a lot of those athletic ones or typical like athletic movements kind of fall into one category so as long as you're hitting all the you know movement planes and movement patterns then it's going to set a human up to be strong and healthy mm, love it uh so how long are your workouts uh I do 60 minute training sessions. My virtual sessions are anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes. But I would say like actual strength training portion of a workout is probably only 40 minutes. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of a good warm up cardio warm up with uh, some dynamic stretches to kind of help people open up all those tight areas. But, you know, I kind of subscribe to the dogma of I'd rather have a really good warm up and you know have 3 to 5 exercises executed really well for a good workout instead of kind of just rushing into a workout and doing a very complicated eight session workout that's not really going to give people the results they want to see. I love it. So now in the fitness industry I feel like you know it's you bring up dogma and I love that mostly just <laughs> because we all fall into these camps where we make decisions on this is what we do this is what we don't do and I think that truly the masters are the ones that aren't trained to make other people wrong, that they're always learning, but deciding on their process. So to me, that is like how someone is pro chocolate ice cream without being anti-vanilla, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm curious your opinion on, you know, where do program where do the hit workouts fall in and what's your take on uh, into your program and what about the uh, cardio like the whole idea and concepts of cardiovascular training versus workouts like where does that fall sure. in the program so with my clients personally a lot of them i just meant i just try and get them to get 10,000 steps per day if that's not possible for them just kind of give them a set goal to do a little bit more low intensity cardio throughout the week uh, I do also offer remote coaching for my clients so a lot of them will sign up for more of like a supplemental program that I'll give them on the days that I don't see them and that's where you kind of see those hit workouts um, for some of them that are very proficient in our workouts where they might not need my guidance for those supplemental routines, I'll give them additional strength work to do. But honestly, all of it is surrounded is uh, around just getting steps in per day. Uh, 
depending on the person's goals. But, you know, some people I've had endurance athletes in the past, so I'll just give them a supplemental program to do for running, biking, et cetera. So it really boils down to what the client wants, but getting in those steps every day is going to keep their metabolic rate higher and ultimately keep that fat off. Mm. Okay. So you, you think it's client. So just to clarify, you're saying it's almost like just client preference. I think it's for supplements. For supplement. So you have the program that's the strength training program. And if they want to supplement their movements when they're not seeing you, they can add in their hit workouts if they love it. Yes. Yes. I have someone, they like to follow an app, you know, and it's mostly hit workouts. So I kind of take that into account with our training. Uh, and just cause I'm seeing them on a week to week basis, you know, we can kind of talk about what they did and what we're going to do. And I can kind of manipulate those things from there. Of course, I like to be in the most control as I can. So usually I will have them do some remote coaching with me. Um, most of my clients, I don't even think like to do cardio, but they, you know, some, some of them do it. So that's why I kind of just suggest like, Hey, just get out for walks. You know, I, especially with people still kind of working from home, not commuting as much, I really emphasize getting out for multiple walks per day, as opposed to just that one chunk. Like I mentioned, that's just going to keep your metabolic rate up and considering everyone wants to lose fat, keep the fat off. That's the best way to do it. Okay. I love it. So now one of the things that I really love about this program that you've created in, mm -hmm. is that you've been able to maximize your leverage essentially. And the way that I define leverage is you have different le levers that you can pull in building your machine, your, you know, your business machine. And when mm -hmm. you have a lot of this stuff systemized, like you do with the programming, you literally can just pull this level and then free up some more time and then create more wealth inside of your life and your business, not just money, but also in your freedom and flexibility. Right. So I'm bringing yes. this up as we transition the conversation, <laughs> because now that you've done this and automated this for your for your own business you've this has allowed you to explore other options and other ways of growing wealth and health in your life <laughs> and i've been seeing in your content how you have now been really helping trainers and coaches I, i'll say trainers specifically mm -hmm. you know manage their money and manage their financial wealth so i'd love for you to you know dive a little bit into that like is this just like a passion project on the side like tell me a little bit more about this so, you know, it's funny that you mentioned all that and I have been able to gain uh, some free time from big picture programming and from my success as a trainer. And, you know, I think these two kind of go hand in hand in hand because everything is about looking at the big picture, whether it comes to your business, whether it comes to your clients and whether it comes to building your wealth. So, you know, kind of a funny story. I've always been interested in investing, interested in finance because I like that compounding progress over a long period of time. And I think that's what building wealth requires. It requires that kind of consistency and uh, constant contribution. Um, so I've always kind of talked to my fiance, Marlo, about how I want to become a financial coach for personal trainers, because from my conversation with a lot of trainers, they don't really have a system for managing their irregular income. Because let's face it, this is irregular income. We don't make a salary. 
we don't have a employee uh, contribution to a 401k. We're kind of just left on our own. We're a small business. We're a sole proprietor, often just a single person business. And we need a system to build our wealth and hopefully see our investments build over the long term. So she is a, uh, she is, she does tattooing. She does uh, semi-permanent tattooing and she got a targeted ad for a tattoo artist that teaches other tattoo artists about um, their finances. And he is a financial coach. So I actually ended up reaching out to him saying I was interested in doing the same for personal trainers. And he actually ended up becoming one of my clients <laughs> when I reached out to him, which was awesome. So then we started talking and then now he's actually mentoring me because he is a licensed financial advisor. So he's been mentoring me to become a financial coach for personal trainers. Um, and there's been trainers in the last few weeks that I've been talking to. I helped them kind of set up all of their bank accounts to automate their savings, automate contributions to a 401k, to an IRA. and Ultimately, I want to help trainers increase their value through a program design and just the value of their life through building their wealth. And I don't think there's a lot of people out there kind of doing that. Um, like I mentioned, we are just a sole business. So just to be able to help trainers do that, gain back their free time, which will ultimately relieve some stress so they could help more people because that's what it's all about. I'm here to help more people, make people more healthy. And the more, you know, competent a trainer is in their program design, the more stress-free they are because they live a wealthy life. They're going to be able to put that energy into their clients. Oh my gosh. I love this. And I love <laughs> talking about money and I, and not from this, not from, you know, people have weird relationships with money, which they feel like, Oh, this is greed. You know, you're, I'm greedy. If I want this, if I want to live with outside of, you know, if I want to grow my means, I must mm -hmm. be greedy. And that's just a, not the case. I know plenty of really miserable rich people and really miserable poor people and the reverse is the same, right? And yep. I think that these conversations need to be had because most people think they have time when the truth is time you never get back and it's a, it is a finite resource. Absolutely. But when you can get to the point where your money makes money for you, then freedom and flexibility is... is yep. Oh, but then then oh my gosh that is yeah <laughs> no right? it is i i agree <laughs> and when we're talking about wealth i'll just say for me i'm not defining that necessarily by the greed or love of money but more so as the the way that you can actually show up in your life in terms of the uh having a rich full affluent life not just yes. bank account yes okay so What's the process? Where do you start people? So usually I'll start them on a clarity session. I'll just get to know what their attitude is about money. It's funny that you mentioned a lot of people kind of see it as being greedy. So I like to get a, get their mindset about how they perceive money. You know, are they able to talk about it with their friends, their family, even with me? So I kind of like, like to alleviate that stress around it and just get them talking. Let's open up the dialogue. You know, even trainers are afraid to ask for a raise from their clients or, uh, you know, up their rates from clients. And I think having that conversation, the more you have the conversation, the more you have a system built around money, the more you'll be comfortable talking about it and increasing your business. Um, and 
ultimately the program, it's kind of, it's a little bit modeled after the profit first program, which I love that book. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's about like a bucket system. You have all of your money flowing into a business account and ultimately you want to automate all of your expenses, all of your retirement contributions. You want to automate all of your savings into its own separate accounts, like a bucket. Um, it just allows you to keep things more organized. So you have like a lack of a better term, big picture view of what's actually going on. You understand where the money is flowing in your bank account and out of it. Um, it just allows you to manage it better that way. Um, and it's a six week pro or sorry, it's a 12 week program. After that kind of first uh, two to four weeks, we'll get more into taxes and accounting and how you could maintain your bookkeeping and automate your bookkeeping. I don't know how many people in this actually this last year, I actually helped a few clients with their taxes. And I'm like, aren't you like 47, you know, like, <laughs> and haven't you done this before? You know, it's, it amazes me how many sole proprietors, especially are still, you know, stressed and confused around taxes around tax time. So we'll go over taxes and how we can make that a breeze for them every April. What is it? I forget what it is. April. April well, 15th. <laughs> Actually, it, it depends. depends, right? <laughs> I I just now have to file every quarter. File every quarter, yes. I I usually do the one time a year, but I it you do save some fees if you do every quarter. Yeah, and it also depends on the the business type. So I'm an LLC, but I'm an LLC incorporated. So because okay. I'm incorporated, I'm required to pay payroll taxes to myself and as I grow to my employees, which is why I'm required to, to file quarterly. However, this is information I realized now after being a sole proprietor for six years. So this is why I'm so passionate <laughs> about this because, you know, when I brought this to my accountant, he's like, you made how much as a what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah sorry. And he's <laughs> like, you're lucky. <laughs> I don't think you're lucky. I think you work very hard. <laughs> no, but lucky in terms of like my liability, my liability options were very, were open. I was a very vulnerable company. That's what okay. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but it's important because like this is why I'm also called to your work because it's you know you're not you're you're there are a lot of people that fall into this category and not even realize it. Absolutely. Think, oh, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this out till all of a sudden they wake up and they're 47. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So and We'll, we'll go over accounting, taxes. Um, I'll usually set them up with an EIN number or a business EIN number if they don't have one. Just basically, we want to make everything legitimate as you can. We want to give them a system that's going to set them up for success. Uh, we'll go over emergency funds, how we can kind of automate those and then build up to a good emergency fund. As you can see, some trainers didn't do well the last couple of years and there's things that might blindside you that you're not prepared for. So we want to keep them prepared for that. Um, I think overall, it really comes down to that mindset, mindset, just kind of talking about money, not seeing it as the cat dispenser just went off. Um, <laughs> just changing their mindset around money. And ultimately, it's just going to, the more comfort you have, the more wealth you'll build, and then you'll gain your free time back. Yeah, I think it's so important. So I'm curious, you know, you know, we talk a lot about 
about comfort comfortability with money and money management what is the stance and the conversation that you have around risk tolerance? Because when it comes to building assets, whether it's building your own business, whether it's investing in stock market options, there's also going to be a level of, uh, you have to know what your level of risk tolerance is. So how do you coach people through that? Sure. Uh, Usually, for the for a person who has a lower risk tolerance, you know, when it comes to building their assets, whether it's a investing in the market or investing in themselves, I just prefer to start small. Even the smallest, any amount of contribution is going to make them a little bit more comfortable. Uh, and typically, I'll kind of skew them towards lower risk assets for the most part because essentially, I'm not a financial advisor. I can't I can't tell them what securities to buy specific ones. Of course, I could just give them my advice and it's all recommendation, but I'll typically just have someone, for example, if they're going to invest in the stock market, just invest in the index or the S&P 500, but with small amounts of contributions. And then we can kind of increase that percentage over time. Let's say we start off with 5% of their uh, income per year and then kind of up at a percent, up at 5%, whatever they're kind of comfortable with. A lot of times they don't even have an account. So to kind of see their money go up and down, it's better to start small that way. You don't want to have someone throw, I don't know, five, 10, 50,000 right away and see it plummet. So it really comes down to just seeing it every day and being comfortable with the ebbs and flows of the market. And then when it comes to investing in themselves, ultimately they're going to have the most control over it. So no matter how much you invest, whether it's money and time, it's the time you put in to get the output. So for, in terms of that, I think it really depends on the person. Mm, yeah, no, it, it for sure. Uh, and you know, especially now I'm curious your opinion, I recognize and we'll make sure all those disclaimers are here. This is all yes. not financial advice. This is all opinion. You know, as we're seeing, you know, and a lot of this in my opinion, in my opinion, is <laughs> by the media in terms of this conversation around this economic downturn around this, you know, we hear people talking about we're officially in a recession and that type of fueled language in from, from the media can be really detrimental to people's Mm -hmm. how they navigate their risk options right absolutely so how can someone be prepared during this season for however long this season is going to be sure um so if someone were to was thinking of investing i would just say contribute slowly and then wait towards the economy to grow and then contribute a little bit more aggressively Right now, you know, in my opinion, I would suggest just to kind of keep some cash on the sideline. Um, But really, you know, playing like mentioning what you said about the news, you know, a lot of it becomes self-fulfilling. For example, even with inflation, when inflation was coming up, people are going to go out and buy more items and buy more products because they don't want to see themselves paying a higher price later on. Um, I mean, I did that with chicken breasts, you know, I'm a trainer, I have to have my chicken breasts. So I, I ended up buying a lot of chicken breasts, but the price never actually went up on, on, on what I was buying. So a lot of this recession talk and inflation talk, 
Are you going to edit that one out? <laughs> oh. I'm just laughing because it actually also brings me to the point of like, you know, remember back in, you know, I, I've been seeing these TikToks about like COVID's back and then everyone's running out to get the toilet paper. And it was yes. just like, what? Like, human behavior is so bizarre. No, it is. And you, you are skewed by the media that way. And the toilet paper thing was the same. I'm sure there was a lot of toilet paper. It just happens to be a lot of people it was self-fulfilling and we ended up overbuying and a lot of people have extra toilet paper now. <laughs> but <laughs> in terms of the recession, you know, usually I will show people, you know, specifically when it comes to comes to stock market returns, I just show them the the mean of the return over the last 10 to 20 years and say this is going to be eight to ten percent per year. Um, and just focus on the long-term. If you're gonna focus on short-term fluctuations, that's when people kind of lose money. And when you kind of think about it, that's how your emotions are, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. If there was a price on you based on your emotions on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not always gonna be consistent, but you have to kind of look back at the last three months, at the last six months, say overall, how did I feel? Did I feel good? Did I feel bad? And the same thing comes to your investment, same thing comes to the economy on a day-to-day -day basis. You just can't really measure it that way. You can't look at it on a day-to-day -day basis. Just focus on the big picture. Yeah, we're looking at trends. Trends, exactly. Yeah, and this is true Absolutely. In, your, in your programming, in your periodization. We can't be making adjustments every day. No. We need to be looking at trends over time. Mm -hmm. So good. Okay, so now a lot of this stuff for someone who's brand new, you know, to even having this conversation, they're like, for okay, what? IRA, <laughs> what? Right? It can feel like, and even when you start to Google, it feels really overwhelming. So, what do you recommend someone who is brand new to this? What's their first step for investing? To even go down this process of assessing where they're at, like who. Like, is there, is this one of those things where they should just, you know, call you, get advice right away? Is this something that they should learn on their own? Like, what is the first process? What is the first, first step? I definitely like to get them on an hour call, go over with, go over them what their income is, what debt they have, what credit cards they have, um, what bank accounts they have. Basically, we, I want to get into the nitty gritty and all the information I can get out of them about their finances. Uh, of course, if they're not comfortable divulging some of these things, that's fine. But I really need to know everything about their financial situation to kind of give them a bigger picture on the path that we're going to do moving forward. And then when it comes to investing, I usually set them up with a Betterment account. And that's just uh, kind of a, your standard robo-advisor that has an automatic deposit and an automatic investing feature built in. So it kind of just takes the emotions away from it. I don't recommend, I know we were kind of talking about risk tolerance and uh, volatility. I don't recommend someone to look at it all the time. I know we just mentioned about trends and emotions. You know, that's going to kind of, your emotions are going to come into play when it comes to your investment. So as, as much as you can get rid of your emotions in regards to that, the better. Yeah, you know, so, so it sounds like the person needs to get comp, get, needs to get competent and fully aware of their full financial yeah. uh, liabilities and assets because a lot mm -hmm. of people think they have assets which are actually liabilities absolutely and they just need to get really so it sounds like 
you know, get, getting clear on that where they're at and where they're going is going to be the first step. I think a lot of people don't even look at their bank account. Mm -hmm. They might not even know. I know several people who do that, several people who just live on a credit card and they decide not to look at it. And the same can come with when someone is gaining weight. You know, I, I know it's inverse when you're losing money, but if someone's gaining weight, sometimes they just say, hey, I don't even want to look at it. And if their goal is fat loss and they know that they want to lose fat, but they just don't want to acknowledge that they're going on a wrong path, you know, it ends up being more detrimental in the long term. So the faster you can kind of acknowledge the things that you're doing, acknowledge the mistakes that you made so you can correct them and move forward, the, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, I think that that is the number one thing that I'm that so many people just seem to miss or not talk about or take for granted, which is that you cannot change what you can't see. Mm -hmm. and what gets measured gets managed, whether you're going to, and it doesn't mean you have to count calories. It doesn't mean you have to count your pennies. You can no. be, you can be abundant in a budget. It's you can just in the budget of calories, budget of money, Absolutely. But, but it's interesting is that, you know, Oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes people will show up in their health the same way that they do in their wealth. Yep. Right? Or they'll have, or they'll have one handled and not the other when mm -hmm. the principles are the same. The principles are absolutely the same. Yeah, it's true. Okay. So I want to be mindful of your time. Okay. So thank you so much for pouring into us today. Can you please let us know if someone wants to go deeper with you, want to learn more about programming, they want to learn more about fi getting financially set up, where are the best places I can send them? Uh, definitely go to my Instagram. It's at jared.aquilina, or you can go on my website, aquilinastrength.com. Okay, great. We'll make sure that we link all this up. Awesome. Thanks. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels. When you leave us a review, be sure to take a screenshot of it and email that screenshot to my team at info at bsimpsonfitness.com. And we'll send you a very special Instagram podcast that will show you how to create compelling content so that your ideal clients come to you and you go from wanting clients to a wait list of clients ready for your services. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.